We're going to continue on now, Tav Zayin and Aleph and Erechin, from where we left off last week. The bottom of the helmet. Gemara says, Amr of Nachman, Amr Shmuel. Rav Nachman says in the name of Shmuel, Ha'isha she'yashva al ha'meshbar. A woman who sits, literally translates on the birthing stone, it refers to a woman who is in, in, in an advanced state of labor. Umesa, and she passed away Bishavis. So your Mevian Sakin, you bring a sack, you could bring a knife, Umekaranis Kresa, and rip open her stomach, Umetsina Savat. And with that, you could then take out the child. Meaning that in this case, what we're dealing with is a, a circumstance of Pikuach Nefesh. There's a life threatening circumstance because if the mother is not around and the child's still in the mother, then obviously the child won't be around too much longer. So the Gemara gives a Hatter, Shmuel brings, Shmuel says a Hatter says that one or one has an obligation to go and cut open the mother to uh, save the child. Um, it's interesting to note the Paiskim and Shulchan Aruch say that this doesn't apply these days because we don't know how to accurately um, to, to, to ascertain whether she's alive, the mother is truly alive. And if the mother is really alive and you start cutting her open, you, you end up kill, killing the mother. So at least in the times of the Shulchan Aruch, they, didn't, they did not follow through with this because they didn't know whether the mother was you know, actually still alive or the mother, and just in a very, very weakened state. And therefore, the Shulchan Aruch says that they didn't do it. These days, I don't know if the same Allah would apply because we have much more advanced medicine. So we know whether the mother is alive or not. And if you could save the child, then one can be Machal Shabbos even to save the child. So that's the basic basics of this Gemara. Rashi makes note of the fact that the Gemara says earlier that on those typical circumstances, the child dies before the mother. The reason being that the child is much more sensitive, his life is uh, much more sensitive, and therefore we assume that if the <coughs> mother died, the child probably also died. And therefore it should be additionally to the question that in our case too, um, the mother, if the mother is, if the mother is dead, why, you, why, is one, one, why is one allowed to be Mechal Shabbos to save the child? The child is in all, is, is in all likelihood anyway not alive. Rashi says that it's not guaranteed. Although typically the child dies first, however, there are cases, there are exceptions to the rule that the mother will die before the child. And therefore, as we all know, we don't assume that, uh, we don't follow majority in statistics. If there's a chance that there's a life at risk in that case, one may be Machal Shabbos. Even though typically the mother, if the mother is not alive and the child's also not alive, since there are exceptions to the rule, one's allowed to be Machal Shabbos because this, this child just might be that exception, and therefore you would go ahead and cut open the mother to save the child. The Gemara asks, Shita Mayavit, that why, where's the Chil Shabbos? This seems pretty obvious. What are you doing? One's forbidden from cutting flesh on Shabbos, but the reason why is based on possibly Geizes or Chayvo. The issues are that you're cutting from a living being. However, in our case, the mother is dead anyway. So what's the Isser? Why is it forbidden to cut open the mother? What Isser is there on Shabbos? It's like cutting a steak. The mother, for all practical purposes, after she passes away, is like a steak. What Isser over there would there be in regards to Shabbos? Oh, here it's Pikuach Nefesh, and that's why you're allowed to do it. Amarabba Rabba explains, If there's no scalpel available right here, and in order to get that scalpel, you have to go across the Rosh Hashanah, and it's a public domain, an area where there's no Erev, and worse, it's a real active public domain. There, it's forbidden to carry in that in that area on Shabbos. One cannot carry through that area, and, def- and definitely one cannot carry from that area into a private location. So over here, if the woman passed away, and the only the only scalpel you have is across the street, one has to cross the Rosh Hashanah. Over there, there would be Isser Dereisa, there would be a biblical, there would be 
forbidden biblically to carry the knife. Yet, since what we're dealing with is the circumstance of a pikach nefesh, since the area that we're dealing with is life if is life threatening, one has one would be permitted to carry that knife and cut open the mother. The Gemara asks, "Umay kamash malan." So, okay, now we understand why there is a chil shabbos. Why you need pikach nefesh? But it should still lead to the next question: that uh, why 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 is this a chiddush tas? Why? What? What? What information is 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 Shmuel telling us over here? Um, this should be a standard case of that over here. Just because there is, a, it's questionable. Therefore, you can even so you can mechal Shabbos, meaning that you don't know if the child's around, the child's alive. So is that a chiddush that in that case you could be mechal Shabbos? The Gemara says that I'm sorry. The Gemara says that this too, um, that even though there's an area of question, it's an area of doubt. You don't know if there's a living person over there. This is also explicitly in the Mishnah. Tanina, that's an explicit mission. There's no reason for Shmuel to let us know something that the Mishnah has already told us. The Mishnah says as follows, Someone who a building collapsed on top of. And now there are a lot of questions that come up. Maybe he's there, maybe he's not. Even if he's there, maybe he's still alive, and therefore you'd actually gain something by digging him out. Suffolk Mace, maybe you're too late, so there's no point in, in, in excavating through this uh, through through the rubble. Suffolk Kanani, maybe he's not maybe he's not Jewish. Suffolk Yisrael, maybe he is Jewish. So there's a lot of questions, lots of doubts. Still your Mafaklan of Asagal. Still one has the right, one has the obligation to go and excavate through all the rubble to see if you could see it, save anyone. So the Gemara asks, the Gemara questions that it, the cases of digging out through the rubble should be no should be no different than Shmuel's case of cutting open the mother. Just like the, we find in the Mishnah that one is permitted and one is obligated to excavate through the rubble on Shabbos because there's a possibility, even if it's a remote possibility, of saving someone's life. So similar, similarly in our case, it should go without saying that you could go and cut open the mother to save the child. Why not? The Gemara says that no. In the case of Shmuel, so if there was someone there, then he was alive. As opposed to over here, what you're trying to save is someone who was never living. So therefore, I would have thought that, I would have thought that since the child was never alive before, therefore there would be no obligation and it would not be permitted to save them. For that, Shmuel finds the need to say that, no, since at the end of the day there's a question about whether you can save someone's life, there's an obligation to save their life. The Gemara, the Gemara continues on. Ha'isha Shenerga, Quoting the line of the Mishnah that a woman who got killed because she was executed, she violated uh, some, whatever the Isser is, whatever, which, whichever one of the, whichever one of the sins that are listed in the Torah as uh, receiving uh, capital punishment. So over there, the halacha is that one that one may derive benefit from her here. The Gemara asks, "Why, why, why, why is one allowed to to, to benefit from the here?" The halacha is that a person who passed away. Is isurei hana. One cannot derive any benefit. One cannot use um, the any part of a corpse. So that's uh, the, the 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 Gemara makes a drasha for that. Sham sham. We learn out sham sham from Aglarufa. We learn out sham sham from Aglarufa. The Gemara says that any corpse is forbidden to derive benefit from. So the Gemara asks, so why is the woman's here any different? So Rav gives a fascinating answer. Amar Rav, I'm a snusari She said, give my hair to my daughter. 
So since she said to give her hair to her daughter, now you're allowed to give your hair to her daughter. So the Gemara asks, And let's say she would say, give my arm to my daughter, then you could give it to her. Like why? So the Torah says that you can't derive benefit from, but it says in her in her, in her, in her, in, in her will, give my hair to my daughter. So, oh, so it says, oh, in the will. What, what do you mean? I, yeah, I know there's a concept where there's a will, there's a way. But, but at the end of the day, the Torah forbids one from deriving any benefit from the from the corpse. So why why can you listen to her to, to her and give her hair to her daughter? The Gemara answers, Amarav <clears throat> That what we're referring to is a wig. So if she's wearing her wig, it would be considered as we'll see, almost like a substitute for hair. So it becomes kind of so to speak part of her body. However, if she, if she speaks out explicitly, give my hair to my daughter. In that case, she's not using it. She's not counting it as part of her body. So it's not part of her body. Then it wouldn't be forbidden to derive benefits. So Rav's, essentially Rav's answer is that what we're dealing with is a wig. And a wig kind of falls, fits somewhere in the middle. If she doesn't say anything, so then it's considered part of her body. She It may be artificial, but it's artificially part of her body. As opposed to if she does speak out that she want, that I want you to give my wig to my daughter. In that case, she's saying it's not part of my body. And in that case, it would not be forbidden to derive benefit from. The Gemara says, If she doesn't say, give it to my daughter, then it sounds like gufo. It would be considered part of her body. Actually asked this question. So the rule is that um, there is something called the Iranidachas, which means if the majority of the city, the Gemara, the Gemara quotes in Sanhedrin, that at least according to one opinion, this, this case never happened, so it may be theoretical, but if the majority of the city worships of a Dazara, they they worship they they, they 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 fall into idol worship. In that case, the entire city gets burnt. The everyone who worshipped idols gets killed, and even the the items of those who were not did not did not participate in these activities, still their possessions get burnt. So the question is, what happens to the here? The question, what about the hair of the woman, the Tzitkanias, meaning the woman that did not participate in the Avid in worshiping Avid Zara? What happens to their hair? Do you have to burn their hair or not? The Gemara says, Amar Rava. Rava said, come on, it's not referring to, you don't actually have to go cut off their hair and burn it. What it refers to is the Panachras, Kame Barley. He was questioning by a case of a wig. What's not as one obligated to uh, burn a wig? So the Gemara says that we see clearly from over here, even though she didn't say tenu, even though she didn't say that she doesn't count this as being part of her body, yet still the still the Gemara questions whether or not you have to burn it or not. According to Rav, the halacha should be clear that if she if she does not say tenu, if she does not say give it, then the halacha should be should be clear that you would be obligated to burn it. The same way it's considered a part of her body in regards to being forbidden to derive benefit like that of a corpse. The Gemara answers was discussing an entirely different case. His case was where the wig was hanging from a peg, was hanging at home. So over there, she doesn't say give it, but it's still not on her head. So do we say it's considered part of her body or not? He had a slightly different case. Our case, Rav was referring to a case where she was wearing the wig. So if a woman dies wearing the wig, in that case, it's assumed to be part of her body unless she speaks out, exp- she, she, she speaks out explicitly that she does not want this to be part of her body. She wants this passed on to, to, to her, to her inher- inheritors. As opposed to the case of Reza Yibchanina, over there, that was referring to a case where she had a wig that was just sitting at home. 
was literally hanging from from a peg. So if it's sitting at home, and that gets assumed not, Rabbi was questioning about whether she doesn't speak out expressly, it's not part of her, but it's not, it's not sitting on her head, is that considered her possessions, or is that considered actually a body part, and to that, Rabbi does not give an answer. So that's the first opinion. The first opinion is that the reason why it's permissible to derive benefit from the here in our Mishnah, Rav says it's only because what we're referring to is a wig. It's a wig, and she says, give it to my daughter. You flip back to the Mishnah, it says an animal that gets killed, you may not derive benefit from any part of it. A woman that gets killed, you may derive benefit from her here. Now, the animal that we're referring to is not referring to things that are outside of the body, things that are not that are just merely connected to the body. What we're referring to what we're referring to are the body parts itself. So the Mishnah is kind of choppy. Nachum Yitzchak says that, oh, it says a woman that gets killed over there, you may derive benefit from her wig, but when you're dealing with an animal, you can't derive benefit from its body. They kind of, that's, that's, that's it's just not uniform. The Mishnah is that uniform. It gets choppy in the Mishnah. So Rav Nachum Yitzchak now questions that this can't be the right shot. It can't be referring to a wig. The Gemara answers, Elam Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman says, no. I think that there's a logical difference between a, um, be, 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 between a wig, and we'll see, and, a, and an animal. Rav Nachman Yitzchak explained that the reason why a corpse is forbidden to derive benefit from is because the corpse is dead. It's missing life. So in order to be defined as life, then the item has to be referred to as used to be living, and now it's dead. Corpse used to be living, now it's dead, therefore you can't have benefit from it. The here is in some way not living even when the human being is alive. It lacks in its life. So therefore, the death doesn't take, doesn't, so, so to speak, doesn't grab onto the, doesn't grab onto the hair. The hair never died. The person died. The person's hair never died. Therefore, Nahumaritzik says that even if the hair is connected, there's a logical argument that could be made that that hair would be permitted. It's as opposed to when I'm dealing with an animal. So an animal, the, uh, an animal corpse is fully permissible to derive benefit from. I wear leather shoes. Leather shoes come from an animal corpse. I, I eat hamburgers. Hamburgers, they come from animal corpses. So there's no issues deriving benefit from a, be, benefit from animal corpses. Therefore, Ibn Ahmad Yitzhak says that what, the only thing that we have over here is this, we, have a logical, we have a logical distinction between people and animals. The reason why the animal was forbidden in our mission was referring to an animal that gored someone and killed them. So over there, the animal needs to get put to death since there's a death sentence given. Therefore, the entire animal is forbidden from, from deriving benefit from. The death sentence never... You know, they, they said you got. That's it. You got to kill the. You got to kill the animal. They said the entire animal is forbidden. So therefore, even the here is forbidden, as opposed to when we're dealing with a corpse. The reason why the here of a corpse is okay is because the corpse only becomes forbidden in that the part that died. Here, not, here it doesn't die, and therefore one may derive benefit from the here. The Gemara now quotes Tani, Tani Levi Kavase Derav and Tani Levi Kavase Dernach Mariyitzak. Levi has a price that supports both the opinion of Rav, who said the Mishnah that says it's permissible is referring to specifically wigs, as well as another Mishnah which seems to back, back up Renachem Bar Yitzchak that says that the, 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 the item that's permissible is even here that's connected. Levi quoted a price that backs the opinion of Rav, it's referring to specifically wigs, that a woman that's being led off to her execution, she said, give my hair to my daughter Nystin. Okay, that's our Mishnah. May sob she died, ain't nice then. Then you can't give. In other words, if she did not say give it, then you cannot give. Mipnesha mes asar bahana. 
because a corpse is forbidden to derive benefit from. And where is this pshita? Obviously, I mean, what we're referring to is someone who died. Why else would her hair be forbidden? Ella, rather, what we have to say is the Gemara says, Shinuye Hamesas Aserbhana. What the Mishnah, what the Brahsa means to say is that that which serves as substitute for a dead person would be, would be forbidden to derive benefit. So, essentially, what we're referring to is things that substitute dead people. Let's say even those you can't, you can't benefit from. What's a, what's a prime example of something that serves as substitution for a, for, for a dead person or first, let's say, their wit? A human being typically has hair, or some human beings sometimes have hair on top of their head. So over there, if we have a wig, it serves to substitute the hair. And now the Gemara says that even things that are a substitute are substitutes would be Asr and Hana, that would be one may not derive benefit from them, unless she spoke out explicitly, take that I want you to give this to my daughter. So here the Mishnah seems to seems to be the Bryce seems to be clearly defined in the case of the hair and the Mishnah as, as referring to a wig. There's another verse that seems to support the view of Rav Yitzchak that says that even here itself would be permissible. It says the Isha Shemes, a woman that passed away, Nan and Besaira, will may derive benefit from her here. Behema Shenerga, but an animal that got killed, one may not, as Asurabana, will not derive any benefit from it, including its here. Umahavrish Benzela. Is that what's the difference between an animal and a human being? Why is it that a human being one may derive benefit from as opposed to an animal, one may, one may not? A corpse is forbidden because it died, and here it doesn't die. As opposed to an animal, <coughs> the reason why it's forbidden to derive benefit from is because it was it was uh, it was found guilty, and therefore the guilty the guilty sentence was given on the entire animal, that, including its here. So that is that is clear, black and white, like Rabbi Yitzchak said that we're referring to is the here itself, and since here it doesn't die, it would be permissible. And that is the end of the first parak. In Erechen. Let's continue on to the second parak. Well, actually, we'll uh, say this as a second cheer, so that way anyone who wants to pick up in the second parak could listen to it as uh, to l- l- listen to it separately.